Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Six, four, Welcome to another episode of the 643 Podcast. Yours truly, Dylan Short here, as always, bringing you what you need to know from the game of baseball, brought to you by 680 The Fan and the Dickey Broadcasting Company. You can find the 643 Podcast, as well as the podcast from all the other hosts around the station, whether it be 680 or Extra 106.3 or 1037 or any of the Dickey Broadcasting banner. Uh, under the Sports Talk banners or the Extra, whatever. You can find them at thepodcastpark.com. Just go to the Podcast Park. Follow along to your favorite shows, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, wherever you can find them. Like and subscribe so you know whenever new episodes drop and your favorite hosts know that you like them. So, day off yesterday from the Braves. Been a little bit since I've had an episode. I've been a little bit busy at the radio station. You guys may have heard. Uh, going to be pretty busy this week, so I don't know if I'm going to get a Thursday episode up or not. We'll see how Thursday goes. But for today, the Braves have a chance now after some really good work this weekend uh, against the Marlins, who, yes, the Marlins are bad, but the Braves went through and swept them. Uh, And the Mets decided for the first time this season to really Mets things up for themselves and drop two out of three to the hapless Washington Nationals. The Braves find themselves one game back with the two-game set here in Oakland, or there in Oakland, out in Cali, out in Cali. So apologies to those of you who were going to try to step to watch the game. It's not going to start. I believe it's a 940 first pitch. Uh, Braves have a chance to at least hold serve here. And this is one of those things that I've been saying. You don't have to beat them. You can just kind of hold serve for a little bit, stay within a game, two games, until the Mets have to come to truest, at which point then you've got the ball in your court. The Braves sweep the Mets in the in the truest series, the final real series for either of those two teams. Then the Braves will hold the tiebreaker. So even if you end up tying with the Mets, the Braves still win the division. Otherwise, you do have to flat out beat them in the win-loss column in order to claim the division. And that is the goal for me. I only look at winning divisions. This is not a team that would I don't think they consider it a success if they're a wild card. They're a better roster than the Mets. And you can point to the first two months of the season as the Braves dug themselves into a gigantic hole as the culprit. When you look at what the Braves have done, they've been the best team in baseball by a pretty wide margin since June 1st. And that's better than the Dodgers, who quietly, despite having the best record by, I believe, like seven or eight games above any above the number two team, which I think is the Astros, but I could be wrong on that. The, the Dodgers 
aren't really getting talked about very much. I think it has to do with their weird little home run celebrations. But the Braves have been better than the Dodgers since June 1st. And obviously that coincides with Michael Harris getting called up and with Spencer Strider being put into the rotation. But that's kind of, that's more along the lines of what we expected to see from the Braves to start this year anyway. The Braves really screwed themselves when they, they got up to such a bad start. It happened last year too, obviously. Didn't get to over 500 until after the All-Star break. But it didn't hurt you because the rest of the division kind of sucked and the Mets decided that they were going to tank last year too and collapse in a, in a pretty historic fashion. I said early on this season that you can't dig yourself into those types of holes because you can't count on the other teams in your division to just blow it. You need to, to you have you have to play better than them. And, and the Braves gave about a two-month handicap to everybody else in the division. Speaks volumes that the Braves are one game back right now, but we've seen them get to this point before. They were back ten and a half games at one point, closed that down to half a game, fell seven games behind the Mets after that really awful series in New York. And it's credit to the Braves that in the span of about a month, they've closed it six games again. This is a better, the Braves team is better than the Mets. They just have to play consistently, which has not always been what the Braves have been able to do. And they've been extremely consistent since June. I'm not saying that they haven't been, not saying that, that they've been a disappointment, but that's, that's what happens when you bury yourself that deep and you have to play catch up the rest of the season. The Mets are a really good baseball team. The Mets deserve the record that they have. The Braves are better. But the Mets have played this level all season long where the Braves took two months in order to figure out that you probably shouldn't be starting Marcelo Zuna and Eddie Rosario in the same outfield or that you shouldn't be giving you should have William Contreras in the lineup a lot more often than you do uh, or that your pitchers you should probably have Spencer Strider in the rotation because if he can throw six or seven innings or even five which is what I was saying right as he got into the rotation even if he was a five and dive guy. He was way better than what you were getting from the other fifth starter rotation candidates. And if you were only using Spencer once every three or four days out of the bullpen, there was no reason in the world not to have him in the rotation. And Spencer has since rewarded you by being one of the most dominant pitchers in Major League Baseball. And he only has about 100 and I think it's about 100. It's either 115 or about 119 innings. I think it's about I think it's 114 and two thirds. In those 114 and two thirds, he's got like 178, 179 strikeouts. Carlos Rodon just got up over the 200 strikeout plateau. If Spencer Strider had been starting all season long, he would have far and away cleared that 200 plateau. He's going to clear that plateau probably in the next couple of starts. I mean, just coming off of a 16 strikeout outing, probably I, I don't know that he'll get 16 again. Depends on who he's matched up with. But you're looking at a guy that's got 4.2 F4 and spent two months as a reliever. If those two months are then spent as a starter instead, you're talking about a guy that could conceivably be knocking on the door of six F war this season and would be, in my view, probably the favorite for the Cy Young. All credit to Sandy Alcantara. What Sandy Alcantara does that's so different is that in an era of pitchers going five, six innings, Sandy's got four complete games this year. That's like, just the raw surface stat numbers. Sandy's not been the best pitcher pure stuff wise. I mean, he and Max Fried have been very similar. Uh, Julio Arias has been doing pretty good for this second half of the season, but no, Julio, Julio Arias is not better than Max Freed. He's not better than Strider. He's not better than, than Sandy. That's more just a case of he gets to play for the Dodgers. Uh, and Julio is a decent pitcher, but I've seen the Braves clobber him. Um, I just saw the Braves clobber Sandy and I thought that that was 
if you're trying to get Max Freed some votes for Cy Young, um, that, that helps. If Sandy can falter a little bit, which he kind of has in the second half, but he's nearing 200 innings already. He's going to clear 220, 230 before this season is over. Sandy's not the guy that's going to wipe out stuff strikeout-wise, but it's because he knows he has to go eight innings every time out, and he pitches accordingly. He can't just let it loose for six innings and turn it over to the bullpen. The Marlins don't have a bullpen. And that, in that effect, that makes Sandy the favorite for now. If Strider had had those other two months, though, the numbers that Strider would have put up this season would have been so far out of reach for anybody in the National League with Jacob deGrom only having about 36 innings. That's really your next closest comparison. I say that, and I've said this on air a couple times, I don't, I am not going to comp anybody to Jacob deGrom. I'll get crazy with my comps sometimes, but I do have some guys that are sacred that I won't comp to, and Jacob deGrom is one of those. I think he's such a unicorn, and I think he's literally the best pitcher that we've ever seen pick up a baseball. I just won't comp anybody to him. But I think the closest to him is Strider. I've said it before. I think Strider is a better Dylan Cease. And Dylan Cease has been incredible in the second half. He might, he might snake the AL Cy Young out from under Justin Verlander. But Spencer is better. Spencer does not walk people, and that's the big difference. Spencer has those gaudy strikeout numbers with a walk rate, a walk per nine under three. That's, that's insane. He, he does it with 69% fastballs. He throws one pitch way more than half the time, and people can't touch it because he dots it exactly where he wants. It's, it's a, nearly a perfect spin rate. The efficiency is through the roof on that pitch, so it doesn't really drop. It's so hard to meet it and, and barrel it up. And then he's got a wipeout slider, and his changeup has shown the ability to be a wipeout changeup too. And I think next year, that's the thing you're looking at with Spencer Strider. After what you've seen from this season, Spencer Strider is going to be my guy to win Cy Young next year, especially if he comes out next year and all of a sudden that changeup that he's throwing about 5% of the time, he ups that usage to say 8 to 10%. I mean, that's this is going to be a walkaway Cy Young. It's going to be, he, he might get 300 strikeouts. <laughs> he, he's just absolutely ridiculous. And it's a credit to the Braves and the development staff, and I say that a lot, but I say this to say the Braves are in a, as good a position as they can be right now after burying themselves early. And that is a problem that it's two seasons in a row that you've buried yourself. You were able to dig yourself out last year. And I don't know that they'll dig themselves out of it this year just because the Mets have the easiest schedule of anybody in baseball. The only good team they play in the second half is the Braves. Or remaining on the schedule is the Braves. They don't have anybody else that's any good. They get multiple series against the Marlins, I think, or the Cubs. They're playing the Pirates right now. They get multiple with the Pirates. They still play the Cubs. They don't have a lot of games left that you look at and think, oh, well, you know, maybe they can, they, maybe they'll, they'll choke here. They might choke some games, but they're not going to be expected to. And, I, you know, it's not to say that the Mets can't lose. We saw the Pirates earlier this year sweep the Dodgers, and that's not supposed to happen. But it's not something you count on. And it is something where if the Braves don't win the National League East this year, that is something they'll point to and say, you can't dig yourself a two-month hole and try to get out of it when you have other good teams in your division. And I think that's more of the case. Not just not that the Mets are, are this unbreakable juggernaut. I I think they're really good, but I don't particular I don't think offensively, I don't think they're win, they're they're set up to win in the postseason. I'm sorry, I just don't. They can give you tough at bats, they can give you grinding at bats, but they just they don't have the one swing power, the one swing change of, of momentum type of lineup now maybe they'll they'll work on that i 
I said before, I don't like giving the Mets a lot of compliments, but I thought they had a phenomenal offseason, and I thought what they did this offseason is the reason why they are where they are at right now. They've made a concerted effort to get more well-rounded offensively. They added speed, they added defense, because they were awful defensive team, and they were slow last season. This year, adding Starling Marte was a huge addition, even if you had to overpay. Getting Mark Canna was a really strong addition. Eduardo Escobar sucked for them, but it was still better than having J.D. Davis try to play third base. Luis Guillorme has been a, a really welcome surprise for the Mets. He's not a good offensive player, but he's so good defensively. He kind of reminds me a little bit of, of some of like an Omar Infante type. Way better defender than Omar Infante. Uh, but one of those guys that, that you don't look for anything offensively from him. You just kind of, you, you, you absorb lesser offense because the defense is game-changing. And that is, that's a real thing. You look at Luis Guillorme this season, two homers, 14 ribbies in 86 games. He's hitting 283, 355, 357, which that's not bad. He's got a 110 WRC plus. He's been good for them. He just has no power. I mean, his ISO is .074. That's not good. He doesn't strike out, puts the ball in play, he'll take his walks. It's kind of like a poor man's version of Luis Arise. And I think the Mets should be commended for doing that. Obviously, they paid crazy money for Max Scherzer, but it's paid off. Max Scherzer has been lights out for them when he's been on the field. Now, you have had to couch that with, you know, when he's on the field. His last outing against Washington, ironically opposite of Patrick Corbin, who's been one of the worst pitchers in baseball the last couple years, he didn't get beat around, but he was only able to go five innings. And that's something that I mentioned early this season with the Mets, and a lot of people have mentioned it, that the Mets are very old, and you're relying on DeGrom and Scherzer, who are not great at staying on the field. For as good as Jacob DeGrom is, and I think he's the best, for as good as Scherzer is. And I think Scherzer, when you talk about the best pitchers of, of I don't want to say this generation, because I think we're kind of changing over to like the new young guard type, but of the previous generation of, of when I was... I don't know, say 10 to 10 to 20 or whatever. Say, let, let's just say since the 2000s, really 2000, mid, mid 2000s. Uh, you, you talk about Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw and Justin Verlander. I would take Scherzer over either of those two. Now, certainly if you're talking about postseason, Scherzer is the best competitor I think we've ever seen from a pitcher. Uh, I, maybe you could say Roger Clemens is in that discussion, but I think, I think Scherzer is the most intense competitor I've ever seen on a baseball field. And I just think he's been the best pitcher of them as well. I think if you were to say you could pick any of these three and you need to go out there and win one game, you're taking Max Scherzer. And Max Scherzer has been dominant in really two totally different portions of his career. Max was a big-time prospect when he came up. It kind of took him a little bit in the Arizona and Detroit days to really become Max Scherzer. But once he did, it was over for everybody. I think if you're asking me, not, not a pitch sequence type of comp, but an outlook type of comp for Spencer Strider, like what do I think Spencer Strider can be? It's a Max Scherzer. I think he is that type of competitor on the mound. I think he's got a, a better fastball than Scherzer ever had, and Scherzer had a dominant fastball, but it, it's not touching Strider's. Scherzer has an outstanding slider. I think Striders could end up being a better slider. Command, I think they're pretty equal, but Scherzer has the edge in the fact that he was also just a horse, and he had five pitches that he would go to. 
Spencer has three right now. He's got a lot more confidence, fastball slider, but I think the change in time, once he gets that change up, I think Spencer Strider is kind of a Max Scherzer level of player. It's a different profile, but I think that's what he is. And I think it's so important when you're looking at how the Braves line up for this postseason, the Braves want to win the division because they're the best team in the division, because that's what the Braves are. They win the NL East. That's what they did my entire life growing up, up until that bad stretch run when the Phillies had a little bit of time, the Nationals had a little bit of time, but now it's time for the Braves to reclaim that throne. Ultimately, you just want to win World Series. And if you if you go in the wild card, but you still win the World Series, yes, it's going to be considered a successful season. Now, you still lose bragging rights in the NL East because you will have to listen to the Mets and Mets fans saying, you're chasing us this year. We're the defending NL East champs. We were the best team in the division. And they will have a point to that. There will be merit to that. And that will stick in the craw a little bit, at least of this Braves fan. I don't want to hear that. I don't want the Braves to be a wild card World Series winner because you. It, I don't want to say it'll taint a World Series because if you went back, if you repeat as World Series champions, that's nearly impossible to do. But it will be a mark that people can talk about and it will take away a little bit at least from what the Braves will be doing by repeating. All that to say, the Braves do kind of control their own destiny. It's one game back. The Braves do have a slightly tougher schedule because you do have a three-game set with Seattle coming up after Oakland. You got the two games with Oakland, then you got three in Seattle before you go to San Francisco for three. Now, San Francisco's awful. Carlos Rodon is really good, but San Francisco's horrible. And it really just depends on how you get matched up. Their offense is not good. Their defense is almost as bad as the Phillies' defense. They're, they're just not a good ball club. But Seattle is a really dangerous ball club. And Seattle's got... I, I talked about this yesterday, and I talked about it on Sunday on 680 The Fan. When you're looking at Seattle, it's hard to look somewhere and... and find which area you should be more concerned about. They've got Julio Rodriguez, who is basically like a Ronald Acuna clone. Um, but he's he's going to walk away with the rookie of the year. He's just an incredible ball player. Um, you could make an argument for Adley Rutschman, but it's going to be Julio Rodriguez that gets it. You're talking about having to face off against Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray, and George Kirby, who have... George Kirby looks insane he he's a guy that's got wipeout stuff and doesn't walk anybody he he looks incredible in seattle as a team they score a lot of runs they don't have the best defense but it's not gonna not gonna hurt them they don't have i think the big difference between seattle and atlanta is there are places to go in seattle's lineup to get outs if you can get past j-rod and you can get past hanniger you eugenio suarez can blast homers so can cal raleigh but they don't have a lot of, of consistent offense, at least from what I see. You do bear in mind that they are in the AL West. So they do get 38 games playing the Angels and playing the Athletics. And I think that props them up a little bit. If I dig into this a second, maybe their Pythagorean record will give me a little bit more of a look at this. But you look at the Mariners and the way that they're playing, they are a team that has an outstanding bullpen as well. They... They, I don't want to say they scare me, but that's not what I'm going to look at and say you should sweep that. I'm going to say you should you should win that series, take two out of three. But that is a case where you're looking at, at the Mets, who while the Braves are playing Seattle, the Mets will be playing the Marlins. And the Marlins, as we just saw, 
Um, they're they're basically not a real team. They probably shouldn't be. They they probably if we could relegate teams, they they'd be relegated. They're um they're they're not really what you want to look at and say, cool, I need them to help. But I mean, to be fair, everybody was thinking the same thing about the uh, everybody was thinking the same thing about the Nationals. The Nationals took two out of three, and I think that was more a case of the Mets just offensively just fell apart. Uh, Pythagorean record for Seattle. Seattle is 76 and 59. Their Pythagorean record is 75 and 60. So pretty much playing exactly how they should. Now you go over to the Braves and I'm going to, I'm going to assume that their Pythagorean record is probably going to be a pretty decent 84, 51 for this year's record. Pythagorean 84 and 51. So Braves are playing exactly like they should. Although I kind of, I kind of disagree with that a little bit. I think, uh, I think where that can go wrong is you are kind of discrediting. Maybe they're saying that the Braves won a few games they shouldn't to offset the ones lately that they blew when they should have won. Um, that's what Pythagorean record really is. It takes your run score, the runs you've allowed, and kind of meshes them together. The Braves have been a really, really strong baseball team this year. Um, they'll probably be saying that they're the number two behind the Dodgers. And I think the way that the, way that the season is going right now for the Dodgers, now that they don't have Walker Bueller. Uh, he's out for the season. Clayton Kershaw didn't look so great against, uh, by the way, the Mets, their Pythagorean record, 81-54. and 54. So according to Pythagorean record, the Braves are expected to be better. And I think the only two teams, if I were to do this really quickly, I think they might say Houston should be better than the Braves. Again, 38 games against uh, some pretty awful teams, although the Braves don't have the best teams. Astros are 87 and 48. Their Pythagorean record is also 87 and 48. Then you look at the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's going to be the team that if they're they're going to be the one that um, they're probably going to be the team that's got the highest record Pythagorean theorem or Pythagorean record wise. They're 92 and 42. Like I said, the the quietest and their their Pythagorean record is 97 and 37. Uh, Dodgers have been really, really good. They're they're probably going to be the favorites to go to the World Series, but I think the Braves match up well with them in the postseason. And I think that's what all of this is. And with the way that the Braves played in that series with Miami, the offense beat up on Sandy Alcantara, had a really tough outing against Edward Cabrera. Uh, props to Bryce Elder for pitching really well. Um, and then just went out and, and really dominated on uh, on Sunday. But... That was a big deal for the Braves because you picked up, you were able to pick up two games on the Mets and give yourself a little bit more breathing room, but the ability to control your own destiny. If the Braves do what they should do, they should take both of these games from the Athletics. They're facing Cole Irvin tonight, and Cole Irvin is not bad. Cole Irvin is, uh, he's had points this season where he is really good. He's also had points where he's been not very good. But he is a lefty, which means I'm going to expect the Braves' offense to show up. The Braves destroy left-handed pitching. Um, this season, he's got a 3.35 ERA, 3.92 FIP, so he's pitched pretty well, 147 innings. Not a big strikeout guy, but the Braves faced him before, and he pitched really well against the Braves the last time we faced him. And then they're going with, with rookie Ken Waldachuk, the guy that they got from the really the key piece they got from the Yankees in return for Frankie Montas. Waldachuk had a pretty pretty dang solid debut and it was against the nationals went four and two thirds had a lot of strikeouts but did walk quite a few people that's another lefty though and that's you're going to say advantage braves the braves are going to be facing them with kyle wright going today and then which means tomorrow's uh, spencer strider taking on rookie ken waldachuk 
Now, Strider against that Oakland lineup, he might he might get 18 strikeouts. He might go a full nine. He was really close to being able to finish out that game against the against the Rockies. He actually, at one point, until the eighth inning, he was on track for a Maddox. But you contrast that with the Mets, and I, I read you what the Mets have. They've got three. They've got three with the Pirates starting today. Three with the Marlins. Three with the Cubs. Four with the Pirates. Three with the Brewers. So that's kind of that one area where if it lines up right for the Brewers, then the Mets might have some issues there dealing with the Brewers pitching staff. But then you got three more against the Athletics. Two against the Marlins before that series in Atlanta starting on September 30th and going through October 2nd before finishing up with three against Washington. Where the Braves, meanwhile, have these two with the Athletics, three in Seattle, three in San Francisco. Then you go and you go back home, but you face the Phillies for three, the Nationals for three, the Phillies for four, the Nationals for three, then the Mets in Truist, and you finish off with the Marlins. Those series against the Phillies and against Seattle, those are the series that are going to determine the outcome of the NLEs. Now, the Braves are a playoff team. I think that they're, right now, especially with Bueller going down, I think the Braves are the best team in the National League and therefore the best team in baseball because I think that they're, I think they're, the Braves are a horrible matchup for the Astros. Everything the Astros do, the Braves do better. And uh, I love my guys over at Just Baseball, um, but uh, they're they're a little crazy with what they say about the Houston Astros, thinking that the Astros have a, a better a better pitching rotation than the Braves or a better lineup or anything else like that. Everything the Astros do, the Braves do better. Go position by position, you're taking more Braves than you are Astros. You can tell me, you know, Houston's got Verlander and Framber Valdez and and you know Christian Javier and Luis Garcia. They're they're outstanding. Don't get me wrong. You're not taking that foursome over Max Freed, Spencer Strider, Kyle Wright, and Charlie Morton. You might take Verlander over Freed. I think it's kind of a push, but at least by the numbers-wise, Verlander's been better. Uh, so go ahead, and you'll, I'll, I'll give you that. You can say Verlander. Um, Strider's been better than Fromber in less innings, by the way. Substantially better. Fromber's like a 3.3 F4. Strider's 4.2 in substantially less innings. Um, Kyle Wright has been better than Christian Javier by a little bit, but been better than Christian Javier. And Charlie Morton has been better than Luis Garcia. The Braves have the edge there. The Braves have the edge over most people. It's my same argument with the Braves and the Mets. Yeah, you're going to take DeGrom and and Scherzer over, although I would say Scherzer and Strider are actually a push because they're pretty much equal in terms of of war value so far. But you'll you'll take DeGrom over Freed because you'll take DeGrom over anybody. You can say, do whatever you want with Strider and Scherzer, call it a push. That's fine. You're taking Kyle Wright over Chris Bassett. You're taking Charlie Morton over Carlos Carrasco. You are. I'm sorry. You just are. Mike Soroka is on the way back. He'll be back anytime now. Had a, a really good third rehab outing, even if it did get shortened by rain. I was wanting to see him get through the lineup again to see if he was able to, to fix out some of the bugs that he's had the second time through a lineup. But there, if, if the next start or two for him goes as well as planned, you'll see him on September 16th. Now, is he going to go right into the rotations? He could come out of the bullpen. Don't really know the answer to that yet, but he's going to be back. Ozzy's about to be back, in which case you'll see Vaughn Grissom go to left field. Because as I've mentioned, Ronald's probably going to DH for the rest of the season, and you really shouldn't mess with it. Because if you do want to repeat, you have to have Ronald. The difference between the Braves with Ronald and the Braves without Ronald is such a massive difference. I know the Braves won the World Series last year without Ronald. A lot of that happened because... All four outfielders you traded for had career second halves in Duval, Soler, Jock Peterson, and Eddie Rosario. They just had in career postseason types, just the best they'll ever play at the most opportune moment. And you also had Freddie Freeman, who 
say whatever you will about Freddie, and I know there's still people that for some reason act like they hate Freddie Freeman. Um, those people are, how do I put this gently, dumb. Uh, Freddie's a phenomenal player. He's having one of the best seasons of his career, and you are definitely missing that. Matt Olson has been really good lately, but Freddie has been worth double the value of Matt Olson. That's how good Freddie Freeman has been this year. And Freddie was exceptional last season too. Now with Riley emerging the way he has, does that that kind of cut down the loss of Freddie? Yeah, but it does affect overall depth because it's not really, if you're using Riley to replace Freddie, then you're talking about Olson replacing Riley. And what Olson's done this year has been really good. It still isn't quite to the level of what Riley was even a season ago. Matt Olson's picked it up some, although he did just go through one of those little cold stretches of his. He has looked really good uh, for really since the entire second half. He's looked good, sitting at 27 bombs now. Uh, and his strikeout rate's 23.2, really good for that. 11 on the walk rate. He's 247, 332, 482. Uh, good for a 122 WRC plus and 2.8 F4. Contrast that with Austin Riley from last season, because remember I said if Riley's replacing Freddie from this season, then you got to go and you got to have your Austin Riley replacement. You could say that's Michael Harris, too, and you wouldn't be wrong. Um, Austin Riley, last season, 33 homers, 107 ribbies, 25K rate, 8% walk rate, 303, 367, 531, with a 4.7 F war. So not really getting all the completion there. It helps that you've got Michael Harris, who's been the best position player rookie in Major League Baseball. Yes, I'm including Julio Rodriguez. Go check it out for yourself. Michael Harris has been about three-tenths of a win better in about 30 less games, maybe 20, about 20 less games. Michael Harris has been the best rookie position player. He's got the exact same value as Spencer Strider does right now. I told you Spencer Strider has been not just the, one of the best rookie pitchers, not just the best rookie pitcher, but one of the best pitchers in the big leagues total. Same goes for Michael Harris. Michael Harris is second only to Brandon Nimmo in rankings for center fielders in the national league. And Brandon Nimmo has roughly, roughly about 30 games, 20 to 30 games on Michael Harris at this point. If they had played the same amount of games this season, Michael Harris would be far and away. You'd be knocking on the door of a six-win campaign for Michael Harris, if not trending toward the seven. He's Mookie Betts, and the Braves got him in the third round, I want to say, was him. Vaughn Grissom has been... He's kind of come back down to earth a little bit to what I think is more of Vaughn Grissom. But I say that, but he's a guy that's not going to strike out a lot. He's giving great at-bats. And I've mentioned before, I actually think he's getting hurt because his his he's not getting the calls he should get. Similar to Julio Rodriguez, at the start of the season, when umpires were royally screwing him over, they've kind of done the same thing to Von Grissom. He's had three strikeouts in that Marlins series that should have been walks, and instead he got rung up. Um, he's been incredible. He's going to move to left field. He's been taking fly balls and BP and working with uh, Eric Young, and I don't doubt he's athletic enough to be able to handle that. Ozzy's going to come back up, and I'm not sure what you'll get from Ozzy. I hope he's able to turn it around because he wasn't great before he went down. It was actually a pretty bad season for him. He started out on fire, but from that point on, from like middle of May forward, he didn't really play very well at all. Um, but I think you'll see Ozzy perform at least more like what we're used to seeing from Ozzy. He's done okay in his rehab. Uh, he's gotten a bat righty a couple times. We'll see if he's able to use a great defender at second base. And it is better than having Marcelo Zuna or Eddie Rosario or Robbie Grossman in the lineup, or two of those three in the lineup every day. I've mentioned before, William Contreras needs to be in this lineup pretty much every single day. William Contreras is one of the key guys, I think, for this lineup in order to win in the postseason. I think they win the matchups in the postseason. I think they match up with everybody really well because the Braves don't have a real weakness on this roster, especially once it gets to full health. They don't have a true weakness. Maybe they don't have... 
I think it's I think it's foolish to say they don't have a real strength. The Braves' offense is the second best offense in baseball and scoring runs. That's the only metric that matters for an offense. How many runs do you score? How often do you score them? The Braves score three or more runs more often than pretty much any more. They score more than three runs more consistently than pretty much any other offense in baseball. They mash homers. They do need to stop the chase rates and up the walk rates. That's I think what really holds back the Braves' offense from being considered the Los Angeles Dodgers offense. Dodgers don't chase. That's the next evolution for the Braves. I think they'll get there. But it is going to be a nice little stretch run. It's meaningful baseball in September, which is always a a really fun thing. And for what it's worth, the Mets, they have to figure some things out. There is a chance for them. That Brewers series for the Mets, I think, is the big one for the Mets. I think if the Braves take two out of three from Seattle, you are really putting the pressure on the Mets. It puts a lot of pressure for them anyway. A team that's not been in position to really win anything in a long time, and you tell them they have to sweep all of their series just to keep pace, not to even gain ground, just to keep pace, then yeah, I think that pressure can get to them. Pete Alonso's got a lot of RBI, but they don't have they don't have an outstanding lineup. They they make it a game. They're they're annoying to face. They get a lot of soft contact. They they fight through at bats, but they're not a team that's gonna punish you with seven run outbursts very often. That's just not how they're built. That's just they might get that way in the long run, but it does mean that you need to make sure you're not facing Edwin Diaz, who's incredible. Adam Adovino's been really good. But the rest of that bullpen, not much scary. Their rotation outside of the top two is very beatable. And the Braves being one of the best offenses, the Dodgers being one of the best offenses, pretty much every offense in the postseason, with the exception of the New York Mets for the National League, will be a really talented offense. And I think that's why I don't think the Mets are real World Series contenders. I'm sorry, I just don't. I know I might be classified as a hater, I just, I just don't see it. I think you have to score runs to win in the postseason. The Mets are not a team that their lineup should strike fear into the hearts of anybody. Um, contrast that with the Phillies, who I really don't even consider a real playoff team, even if they sneak in there on one of those wild cards. You do also have to catch the baseball, which they can't do. Uh, they can bash a lot of homers. they got Bryce Harper coming back now, and Bryce is, Bryce is an amazing offensive player. Uh, Aaron Nola's been lights out all season long. Zach Wheeler's had a down season, but still been really, really outstanding. But again, same thing. You've got two really good pitchers and then nothing else. That Noah Syndergaard's been okay for them, not been great. Not really the same Thor that I wish he was. But, you know, the Braves are way better than the Phillies. And I, I think that the Braves match up well with every team in the postseason that they could potentially come across. I think that this Braves team, I've said a million times, I think they're a dynasty. I just think we're waiting for the national media to recognize it. And that starts with this two-game set with Oakland. Do what you're supposed to do against them. But there will be national eyes on that Atlanta-Seattle matchup. Just because you're going to get a lot of West Coast people seeing the Braves for the first time. Julio Rodriguez being on the Mariners is going to draw a lot of eyes to you. Take advantage of that. Put that pressure on the Mets. And I think by the time the Mets come and visit in Atlanta, the end of September, I think Braves already could be in front of the division, maybe salting it away. But as long as the Braves are within a game, two games, I think the Braves got it. We'll see what happens going forward. But that's going to do it for me. I'm going to go ahead and end the episode here for today. Uh, I'll see if I can get another episode in on Thursday. i got a lot to do. We're getting ready to go on vacation next week as well. Uh, if I don't get one up on Thursday here at the Podcast Park, then check me out on 680 The Fan because I, be uh, I will be doing a Braves pregame. I'll be filling in for Domino on Thursday, also on Friday. And then Saturday, I will be pulling a double i'll be doing college football from 11 to 1 or 11 to 2 and then i will be turning around and doing a braves pregame 
again that night. Or it might that one might be a front row audio fun bag. But I'll be on twice on Saturday, just like I was yesterday. Going to be hearing a lot of my voice if you're tuning in to 6A to the Fan or listening on the 6A to the Fan app powered by Beaver Toyota. Uh, just go to the podcast park. Thanks a lot for tuning in, guys. Braves will get first pitch going. I believe it's 940 tonight. Uh, you'll get a chance to see Kyle Wright go for another win as he's just been outstanding all season. Braves taking on the lefty and Cole Irvin against a really bad athletics roster. But at least we'll get to see Shea Langoliers. That's going to do it for me here today. Again, thank you guys so much. I'll see you when I see you here for the 643 Podcast. That's all, folks. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation. Like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.